Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Karadimus. Hello and welcome to Business and Property Development. This is the second part of my conversation with Brad Chan of Banner Property Group. In this section, Brad imparts his stories and experiences developing leadership, business culture, and personal growth. We also get into how Brad has built Banner Property Group to enable him to devote his time and energy to giving back to people and his community. I hope you enjoy it. Now, in terms of some of the key business decisions that you had made as as the CEO of, of Banner Property Group, the way I, I saw it is you've got internal management, but then you've also got asset management. What were some of the things that you'd, or some of the key sort of strategic decisions that enabled you to grow into what it is today from an internal management point of view? Pretty much like any business mm. is built around good people and yeah. retail or you know shopping centres in particular is probably an asset class that relies on or you, where you can make the most difference through good management, through good active management. And whether that's from improving the tenancy mix in a shopping centre to the, the marketing that occurs and involving the community to capital expenditure and, and a whole host of things that you can do to improve the performance of a, of a shopping centre. And so I think it made a lot of sense to internalise the management of our properties and sort of be the master of our own domain. Again, you know, the focus really on building our capabilities to be able to be effective in managing our assets and also having a good team that knew how to operate. So, you know, a lot of the effort over the, probably the last four or five years is on how do we how do we build the right culture so that, you know, we can be, again, most effective in managing and improving the performance of our properties. Has it been a challenge to find these people? Yeah, look, there were a lot of lessons. There was a time where it wasn't a good place to work. I would be getting involved in managing conflict between people and and I, and I didn't really realise that a lot of that stemmed from my own management style. And so I think that one of the first things I had to do was look at, I guess, build some awareness on what I was doing or what I wasn't doing mm. that contributed to maybe the, the poor culture at the time. And so I had to go through my own leadership journey to, because, you know, it, it starts from the top. I think now, you know, if you ask any of my team members, it's a good place to work. You know, I think it shows in the longevity of, of staff now, it's a very low turnover. I, I think the average tenure within my within my team is is probably six years. Last week, I, you know, I had someone do 10 years and I've got a few people that have been with me for 10 years now. There was a part of this conversation where I wanted to talk about the role of the CEO, but since we're on that topic, do you mind if we bring it forward and just to understand a bit more about looking internally about where you were, what was contributing to perhaps the, the culture of the practice and how, how that sort of changed. Can you tell me a bit more about what it was what it was like or you know, what you were doing? Or Well, I mean, like I said, the, the culture was poor. I was having to get involved in, in conflict. People were leaving. And so I decided to bring an external consultant in just to look at our culture. And one of the first things he did was do an assessment on me using a tool called LSI, Lifestyles Inventory. And it's a tool that I now use for the whole team. And I, I 
because I was so impressed with it that I became accredited myself and now I, I basically do it with the whole team and it's it's around behaviour and what is effective behaviour. I guess what my initial results showed that you know, at the time I thought I was a pretty good leader but what my results showed and this was also my own evaluation but also my team's evaluation on me was I had a lot of behaviours that were competitive and oppositional and I used power and then on the other side I used things around avoidance of, of difficult discussions and things like that and so my profile using that tool didn't look good at all. Once I accepted that and was made aware of that, my goals were how do I shift my behaviours and how do I be more constructive in my approach. And at the same time, I'd set up a leadership team to go through the same process. And I think that's been quite transformative for our culture and, and for the team. That's something that I haven't come across before. So it's definitely something I'd, I'd actually be keen to understand as well. So it's LSI. I think it's part of our onboarding process whenever someone new starts as well. I mean, we, I try to use a lot of different tools to build that self-awareness. You know, I use strength finders as well and everyone does strength finders and it helps us to understand, you know, what everyone's unique strengths are and how we can apply them to do our job. Understanding yourself, understanding others, I think is also really beneficial. Would you say that your understanding of the role of the CEO started to, to shift as a result of this kind of understanding? Definitely. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, one of the big things for me was when something went wrong, rather than looking out the window and, and pointing the finger, I needed to look in the mirror and understand how was I contributing to it. I think it, it always helps when you reflect on, you know, what, what is your contribution to something that is happening? It's not an easy thing to do to look at yourself. Got to sort of look in the mirror and see whether you're uh, affecting that sort of change. So now in terms of the culture of the business, so now it's become something that's a, a lot more positive. And like you said, the tenure's grown and mm. you've got long stays and yeah. dare say it's probably feels like family. But mm. can you give me a bit of an insight as to what Banner Property Group feels like to work in? If you could ask my team members, I mean, that would be the best evidence you could get. When we went through this process of cultural change, one of the first things we started off was looking at values, understanding what the core values of the company were, and then making sure that we all reflected those those values. And the values were the acronyms IFACT, was integrity, family, accountability, teamwork, continuous improvement. You know, for me, it was a process of making sure that those values were ingrained throughout the business. And one of the things I, I might have, and I've been doing for a long time is you know, every Friday, everyone gets a, a short three question email. You know, and the first question is, well, a score out of 10, how happy were you at work this week? And for me, that gives me a, a sense of the pulse of how everyone's going. But then there's usually a couple of other questions that change every week. Often I'll try and reinforce our values as to, you know, what's an example of that you've seen of someone demonstrating this particular value during the week or something like that. Reinforcing those values, I think, was, is really important in terms of the cultural change. You know, I would say everyone likes coming to the office, everyone likes spending time with each other. There's mm. genuine relationships, friendships. Mm. And, you know, we were really keen to make sure that the way we approached problem solving and our decision making was collaborative. The quality of our decision making is a lot better when we're involving different perspectives, yeah. different views, mm. you know, which may or may not always be right. But, you know, we talk about just making sure that we're trying to improve the way we make our decisions and trying to make the best decisions possible. I think it also garners a lot of trust if you can have those conversations. Like like you said, you can send an email and expect a, an accurate response for how somebody is feeling. And, you know, it's not uh, something that's treated as adversarial, but it's more like oh, I actually genuinely want to know how you're feeling. Um, because if there's something that I can 
do something about then. Trust is vital because something can be misinterpreted if the trust isn't there. And so if the trust in the relationship's there, then you can be more open and transparent and and then you know it's coming from the right place. Now, in terms of, I see culture, particularly in this kind of business, as there's the business side of things, but then you've also got the culture that revolves around the assets that you that you manage so particularly with sort of shopping centers you have communities and Mm. communities have their own sort of culture so in the way that you've consolidated the portfolio you now manage a a string of shopping centers so and there's a there's a very particular sort of branding focus around creating communities and creating culture in the places that you manage. Can you tell me a bit more about what you've done to foster that sort of uh, culture and community in your in your properties? It was it was a deliberate intention to look at each of our assets and understand the the demographics, the communities around them, and rather than taking a cookie cutter approach, a one size fits all approach to the look and feel of each shopping center really trying to curate and tailor it according to that community. And so I think what my team has been able to do and and invest time into was understanding communities. And that's just spending time with, you know, your local community groups, your your schools, your rotary clubs, being part of that community. It it does take more time. Sorry, my team members that that do do that, I think are, are really good at that aspect. If it was up to me, I'm probably less relational and more task orientated, a bit more of an effort, but I think it suits a lot of their strengths and their, their skills. You know, I think once you understand your community, then you can be clearer about what you deliver in, in terms of, you know, whether it's a tenancy mix or the type of marketing that you do or whatever initiatives that you're embarking on. And have you found that that has played a, a significant role in ensuring that the assets remain, you know, really well used by the community? You know, the kinds of tenants that you have, their great quality, has that sort of impacted on like your work? I think it's sort of gone from assets that at one stage the local community were not proud to call their, their local shopping centre to one that, you know, a lot of the feedback we do get is we love what you've done and we love the changes. And they've a lot of them have been just incremental changes rather than we're going to spend a few million bucks just doing a makeover and that it's involved a lot of different activities in addition to capital expenditure. I'd like to just take a step out of the, the business side of things and head back into some personal qualities. And one of those is is the aspect of leading quietly, finding strength in, in introversion. Tell me a bit more about your journey as a leader, as an introvert? I mean, I I probably took some time to appreciate that a leader didn't need to be an extrovert. I remember even when I was younger, I was president of a St. Vincent de Paul young adults group, sort of volunteering. And I remember as I was leaving the house one day, my dad asked, oh, where are you you going? And I said, I've got a meeting, I'm president of this group. And his response to me was, how can you be president? You're too quiet. You know, I, th- I think that's the view that a lot of people have had about what a leader is. And so people would have read Susan Cain's book, Quiet, and she really challenges that idea of the ideal of what a leader is and really talks about what an introverted leader brings to the table. could be anything from better listening skills to more of a reflection on on what you're doing but also at times being more relatable for me I think one of the things I've tried to do more of is be more adaptable because there are times where I need to be more of a an extrovert 
I need to step out of my comfort zone to get the result, building the confidence to be able to, whether it's at a networking function, approaching people I don't know and developing contacts there. There are also things that an introvert needs to do, I, I believe. It's about probably just understanding the situation and your willingness to be adaptable. Did you find that, I guess at the beginning, that being a bit more reserved and quiet made it more challenging to make progress? I think naturally there are more constraints to you know where you have to deal with people or a large group of people. Like I'm not someone that can entertain a large group of people and tell these, these funny stories, you know, like other people can. And so if I'm at a function, I might be just having a more deeper conversation with the person next to me for me i get a lot more out of that and i think that's better use of my time anyway you know rather than trying to entertain a a group of people so so just to take a step back in terms of your what you do on a on a day-to-day basis now you've got an entire team of people that looks after marketing your your business administration in terms of your role as the ceo now have you put things in place that have allowed you to free up your time to pursue other avenues of your life Definitely, and I think that's been an important objective early on because at one stage I couldn't go away on holidays. I would be, or if I was away on holidays, every night I'd be responding to emails, and I, you know, that wasn't really sustainable. Whereas these days, you know, I can go away no problem. And whilst I am still involved in some of the decision making, and I also rely quite a lot on my team, and you know, they're more than capable of handling things, especially the day to day. So I guess my time has shifted. From working in the business to, to on the business, and that you know, I think that's what every CEO should be doing. But it's also allowed me, yeah, it's also freed up my time to, yeah, spend my time on other things, and some of them may be family-related things. So you know, setting up a family foundation, family council, we have a family board to maybe starting to look at things where we can give back. So you know, I've joined a board of a, a museum that's trying to start up in the Haymarket, and it's a museum of Chinese Australians to, to really recognise the contribution that Chinese Australians have made. To sitting on a, a school board and you know, president of the PNF at the school for a number of years. I guess some local council committee. So I, I do. I'm fortunate to be able to get involved in different things outside of the core business. Some years ago, also in one of our buildings, we set up a co-working space in Chinatown and I love spending time there and that's that's going really well. This is Haymarket HQ. HQ yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you put some bones around how that how that one yeah, came about? Yeah, so in uh, one of the buildings we own in Chinatown, we had a whole floor, top floor, it's about 650 square metres that in the old days, my grandfather had let a a community group use uh, for free well not for free it was a dollar a year that was that was the lease and so they they'd sort of eventually moved out and so I managed to convince the family to let me set something up there that wasn't necessarily going to uh, contribute to our, our bottom line and so looking around uh, it looked like there were co-working spaces popping up in different parts of the city but I saw an opportunity to set something up to support startups that wanted to grow into Asia and it was set up as a profit for purpose business uh, in the sense that you know we wouldn't rely on any income from it and any income that was generated from running that business would be donated to charities and so yeah it's been five years since and you know I went to a function last night with you know, government representatives, and and it's probably more from a co-working space now to running to a different digital programs and and market entry programs into different parts of Asia. So, yeah, really proud of how it's developed. And again, it's another example where I was involved heavily in the early days, but but these days I I just 
sort of step back and don't have to do too much to it. Mm. So, so this yeah. one runs on its runs, it runs on, on its, its own. own yeah. yeah. So, what have you found have been the personal results that you've seen out of being able to devote your time to foundations, being on school boards, Haymarket HQ? Yeah. Like, how how's that changed how you are as a as a person? For me, when I look at success, it's not about wanting to be the, the most well known person in property or the most successful in, in property. I think I think as you get older, you think about well, what is that purpose? You know, why are you here? For me, you know, I think it's important that particularly where I am in my life right now, I, I can make a difference. So I want to make a positive difference. And so how do I use the skills that I have to make a positive difference? I think that's the motivation for me to be able to spend time on different things. I guess it's significance rather than the, an implicit success. And it's probably moved away from personal glory and recognition to a life more of service. Don't get me wrong, it's, it's nice to be successful yeah. in, in what you're doing, but I don't want it to define define me. For me, when my priorities are being a, a good father, for example, or you know what I can contribute to the community or to society as well. Have you found that being able to pull yourself out of working in the business, in terms of your impact on family, how has that been able to help? Being able to free up my time so I'm not needed in the day-to-day decision-making and operations of the business has helped. But I think the other thing that's helped me, some years ago, I looked at what my core personal values were. You know, my, my three personal core values were, were family, were health, and were spirituality. And so I think being clear about what the most important things in my life were and understanding that I needed to prioritise my time to these before anything else has has made it a lot easier to decide, well, do I spend all this time at work or do I spend time on something else that's important to me? I spend some time coaching people both internally in the company but also externally just, again, as another way to give back. But one of the exercises I do is this personal values exercise where I've got a pack of cards and their values and go through the process of elimination to identify what their sort of core values are, the top sort of three values. And then I ask them, you know, questions of a score out of 10, how satisfied are you that you are living this particular value? And sometimes I see that it's it's not a high score. And say, for example, that that value is family and it's only a five out of 10, they, they realize this is why I feel there's something missing in my life. Probably a reminder that you know, for something to change, well, you know, you need to increase that score, that satisfaction score. And so I think it's just a good reminder. And, and again, you know, you can use those values to help you with decision making. Should I take this job, which it's going to mean crazy hours, or do I take another job because it's more aligned to what's important to me? In terms of some of your personal and career highs, what would you say that, that, that they've been? You know, a high is I'm really proud of the team that I've got. And to see their growth, one thing we try to focus on is their professional development and just to see how someone has grown in their role and taken on different opportunities and and changed and become a lot more confident and satisfied in what they're doing. And I think that there's always pride there. I think just starting up a business with nothing and being still around. Some other things I might be proud of, you know, obviously setting up Haymarket HQ, that was a bit of an experiment and, and that's gone well. So, you know, on the family side, you know, running a family business is very different to uh, running another business where you need to be mindful of all the different stakeholders and also think about the future. And so what we've ended up doing is setting up a, a foundation and that's an opportunity for family members that aren't working in the family business to still 
be part of something that that has a purpose. Uh, the other thing we, we've done is we, we have family retreats pretty much every year, year and a half where, I mean, the family's pretty big these days because we're at, <laughs> there's probably five generations. So there's, we've gone away with 60, 70 people for a long weekend. And wow. it's, you know, really about just spending time with extended family that you may not know so well and just getting to know each other better. Because at, at some stage, as as part of succession, you know, they will become move from minor shareholders to major stakeholders. And, and we need to be in a position where we can discuss things and, and work out what the future looks like. And it's a lot easier to do that when there's a relationship rather than no relationship. You know, often if there's no relationship, then it's usually the lawyers that get involved. Oh, that's actually quite an interesting topic, uh, like succession planning. So you've got yourself in this role, but do you progressively bring family into into the company or uh, I try not you, to yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, look, I do have a and from the early days i have a cousin that's the financial controller in the business he's the oldest family member in my generation the third generation and so admittedly when he came on board we didn't really know each other very well he's he's a fair bit older than me and so there wasn't a, a relationship there and it was a bit unusual the younger cousin being his boss so it, it took some time and it took some growth for both of us, but you know I think it's worked out quite well. In terms of what running Banner Property Group has allowed you to achieve in your life, what would you say that would be? It's just given me flexibility to, and like I said before, I don't want my life to be defined by my success at work, but by, by what kind of difference I make elsewhere. And so I think it's just given me the opportunity to, to start to recognize and realize you know I can, I can use all the skills that i've developed over the years through and particularly through my leadership journey to help help others like i mentioned you know, i spend time coaching sort of younger people people of refugee refugee background as well and you know i get a lot of joy seeing the light click in their head and seeing them also achieve things that maybe they didn't think they could or would yeah that's quite satisfying for me seems like it's been a i guess a journey of giving back for years yeah and i think there's greater recognition of of that again as i get older it's the focus has shifted away from from me to how, how do i serve brad thank you so much for for being with me today it's been uh, fantastic and mm. a really enlightening conversation mm. so thanks no, again. yeah thanks harry thanks for the questions This is the end of my conversation with Brad Chan. I'm sure you'll agree Brad's insights and experiences are just fascinating to listen to. What I loved most about this episode is aside from Brad's remarkable journey and career building Banner Property Group, is his strategy and approach to education and self-improvement. This refers to not just his personal quest for personal growth, but also imparting that experience onto others so that they too can benefit from his knowledge and wisdom. This is all done in a very quiet and humble manner. This to me speaks volumes about his character. And it's also one of the many reasons why, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I feel very lucky to have been able to record and share this episode. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please remember to leave a star review on your favorite listening platform. Your support really means a lot to me and it helps this podcast find new listeners. Next month's episode will be the final one for season one. 
We've got a really exciting conversation coming up with James Hickey, the CEO of Life Size Plans. Well, that's it from me for this month. Thanks again for listening in and I'll catch you soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Business and Property Development. Join us next month for more insights from people whose business is property. To subscribe and listen to other episodes, head over to businessandpropertydevelopment.com.au.